This is KMTT. This is Ezra Beck, and I want to take a minute for my regular broadcasting. Because this week is the KMTT Appreciation Drive Week. Once a year, and only once a year, we take a few minutes for the regular broadcasting to appeal to our listeners who are the only source of support for KMTT. KMTT is a strictly 100% listener-supported uh, program. And therefore, we have no choice, but once a year, we have to appeal to you to show your appreciation if you have appreciated, if you've learned on this program, and you want the program to continue, to show it in a material manner. Amen. And therefore, we're uh, approaching, we're appealing to the listener base, to the KMTT worldwide community, to take a few minutes this week to show the appreciation by supporting, by giving donations, donations to keep the uh, keep the program going. And how much is KMTT worth to you? It depends on how much you can afford. Uh, I would say that that's the basic membership fee for a year. It would be it would be nice if you could send us twenty to twenty five dollars. And if you want to show your appreciation per share, I'd just like to remind you that there are over uh, something like two hundred shiurim, two hundred episodes a year, so a hundred hours of programming. Coffee would be significant if we added up all those shiurim, and the show. You know, give what you can and keep the program going. And I'm going to give you two phone numbers, one for the United States, one for Israel, so that you can immediately call to get more information or to make your pledge. And, of course, on the, on the net, you can also donate from, from our website at org. And in New York, the phone number is 212-732-4874. The number of friends of Shabbat Haaretzion, and in Israel, 052-545-6023. And now back to our regular programming. This is KMTT. The week begins this uh, winter, Tavshin Ayin, with a shiur by Harav Benjamin Tavoy, a series, weekly series on uh, modern responsa of the 20th century, more or less, both the individual and the, and the topic. Harabi Yamin Taboy. Today we will deal with the Shuvot, Shailotu Shuvot, Tsofnat Pa'neach, written by Harav Yosef Rosen, known as the Rogachavi. Rav Yosef Rosen was born in Rogachav in the year 1858. His family was a Hasidish family, and his father was known as a Tamit Chacham. He was an unusual child prodigy. At the age of eight, he was known that he was well-versed in the entire Seder in the Zikin, and the local teachers felt they could not teach him anymore. He learned from then on privately with his father. A while later, he went to learn by the Beis Halevi, Rav Yosef Dov Halevi Salavechik.
At that time, he learned Bechavrusa with the son of the Beis HaLevi, known as Reb Chaim of Brisk. So, it's just interesting to note how these two great geniuses, the, among the most famous Gedolim of their time, actually spent some time in their childhood learning together. He then went on to learn by the Maharil Diskin. It seems, however, that most of his learning was done by himself. At the age of 31, he was appointed to be the Rav of Dvinsk. Now, if we remember at that time, when <coughs> those years, there were two Rabbanim of Dvinsk. Dvinsk must have been a small town. Nevertheless, they had two of the greatest Gedolim as the Rabbanim in that city. The Ragachever and his partner was Reb Meir Simcha Cohen of Dvinsk, known as the Arsameach, the author of the Meshechachma. During the First World War, because of extenuating circumstances, the Ragachever went to live in Petersburg. He did not have an easy time, and he suffered greatly during those years. After a while, he did come back to Dvinsk, was again well received as the Rav of Dvinsk. He developed headaches, became quite ill, and eventually he went for an operation which did not succeed, and he died in 1936. He's known, essentially, for unbelievable Bacchus. His Hasmada was so great that legends are told about it. They say in the pictures of the Ragachever, it seems that he has wild hair. And one of the biographers who wrote about Rav Rosen, the Ragachever, said that he simply did not want to go to a barber because when you do go to a barber, you take off your hat and you felt that you can't learn when you're not wearing a Kisui Rosh. So he just refrained from going to the barber. The story also was told about him that during the week of Shiva, and on Tishabav, he just simply did not stop learning. There are various versions of what he said when people asked him, how is this possible? Some say that he answered, so many Jews are going to be punished for Bittal Torah. I'd like to see once a person punished for Tamu Torah. Other times he said, perhaps I will be punished, but Torah is worth being punished for. And there are other explanations of why he learned at all times. One of them was that he said he simply could not stop. He said you cannot tell a person not to breathe. Something is so natural to a person, he must do, he just can't stop. And he felt his connection with Torah was so great that he simply thought about Torah all the time and nothing in the world could stop him from doing so. This unusual genius of the Ragachever fascinated many people. Rav Zevin wrote an article about him in his Sefer, Ishim Vashitos. He mentions there that his, in his oral shiurim and speech, he was so clear and was so understandable. And that's rather interesting because, as we'll discuss in his writing, the, almost the opposite is true. His writing is so brief, so terse, that it mainly consists of 
Ayain, Ayain, Ayain. He just writes one source after another with tremendous pekiyas, and the person who is well-versed in Talmudic literature has to work hard to try to understand what the Ragachavar really meant. Because of that, a number of Svarim came out to try to explain the Rimazim, these hints of the Ragachavar. The Ragachavar called his book, or his book was called, Tzafnat Pa'aneach. Now, we have a number of volumes today of Tzafnat Pa'aneach. The Tshuvos are all called Tzafnat Pa'aneach. Rav Taitz, who was a student somewhat of the Ragachavar, worked on a machon to print the works of the Ragachavar together with Rav Kasher. And they published a few svarm on Mesechtes of notes of the Ragachavar on Bavakame and Sanhedrin. They also published a sefer called Nifa'aneach Tzafunos, a cute play on words. Rav Yosef Rosenzfarm are called Safnat Paneach. We know that Yosef was called Safnat Paneach. And Safnat Paneach means to somehow to explain the hidden ideas. Now, Rav Kasher wrote a book playing on that words, Mifa'aneach Tzfunot. I will somehow explain the secrets of the Ragachavar. In there, he has a, a lot of exposition of certain ideas of the Ragachavar. He has Svaris of the Ragachavar, a very important and interesting sefer. There is another sefer written by Rav Moshe Grossberg called Tzfunos HaRagachavar. And there are other works where people have tried to explain the rather cryptic remarks of the Ragachavar. He liked to write shuvos, and he wrote thousands of shuvos. Rabbi Taitz, in the introduction to the book Tzafnat Paneach and Bav says that he was with the Ragachavar, and he would assume that the amount of shuvos that he wrote could reach 40 or 50,000. And not only did the Ragachavar write so many chuvas, he remembered everyone, remembered who who asked, the time, the, the issue, and what his answer was. He also wrote that one day, Rav Taitz wrote this, that one day he was with the Ragachavar when a package of mail came to the Ragachavar. The package was so great, the, the postman left it outside the house, and when the Ragachev, when Rav Tais came in to visit the Ragachever, he picked up the pile of letters. There were 16 letters and six double uh, postcards. The Ragachever immediately sat down. For an hour and a half, he wrote, all the tshuvas were finished, ready to be sent. He did not look up one safer the entire time. He enjoyed very much writing tshuvas, and he wrote in one of the tshuvas, to a person who sort of apologized for bothering him, he said, please don't stop from asking me because this, this is the Iker of Lima Torah to answer and I enjoy it very much. And he write, wrote this in other places as well and he said, I really enjoy when people ask me halachic questions and I answer. He, his responses are, as I said, rather cryptic, references Two earlier sources. He knew Bavli Yushalmi Tosefta Midrashi Halacha, it seems, by heart. And his answers are based only 
on those sources and the Rambam. He hardly deals with anything that came later at all. Perhaps because of this, his fame as a Lamdin it was extremely great, as a Gon, as a Tamit Chacham. The Lubavitcher Rebbe, for example, quotes him in almost every shiur he gave, in his, which is printed in the Lubavitcher Rebbe's farm of Chidushim Ubiurim Bashas. Almost every Chidush there is somehow attached to a Ragachavar where he explains and further develops the brief comments of the Ragachavar. In Psak, I don't think the Ragachavar's uh, efforts were really well received and used in Psak. We'll see that in a few minutes. The Chuvas that were printed, a Sefer of Chuvas was printed in New York originally, a small volume which had no index whatsoever. A few, a, a number of years later, a, the same Sefer came out without a date, without a name, without a title, and it doesn't at all say what it is and where it's from, but it's an exact copy of that original volume that came out in New York. The only difference is there is an index in this later volume that seems to have come out in Eretz Israel. Rav Kasher's Machon for the printing of the writings of Rav of, of the Ragachavar also printed a volume of Sheilot Shuvot of the Ragachavar. This was printed in Yerushalayim, but under the auspices of the Machon that they called Machon Safnat Paneach, which was done in connection with Yeshiva University. Lately, a new volume of Chuvas came out, which is called Sheilot Chuvot Safnat Paneach Achadashot. The editors of this volume maintain that they collected it from various magazines, journals, from handwritten letters, and this section of the Tzafnat Paneach, their Sheilot Tzivot, deal with Arachaim and Yeradeya. They also, in this volume, have explanations, elaborations on the hintings, on the Ramazim of the Ragachavar. They call it Mifateach Tzvunot, which we said before is also the play on words of revealing the secrets. What I found interesting in this volume of Shelot to Shivat Safnat Paneach, besides the Chivas themselves, they have other writing of the Ragachavar which they printed, and you, we wouldn't be surprised to find that he has Gilyonot a la tour. He had the comments when he learned the tour. He, he, wrote it com- he wrote comments on the side which were printed in this volume. But the thing that I found particularly interesting, they have Gilyonot al Shirei Rab Yudah the Ragachavar apparently had a volume of the poetry of Rabbi Yudah Levi, and he wrote his comments the same way that he wrote comments on everything he learned. He wrote down little comments on the Shri Rabbi Yudah Levi, which are printed, these comments are printed in this volume. We will deal with a few of the Chuvas as much as time will permit, that I found rather interesting and can be discussed briefly. In the new volume that I said was printed in Israel this year, in Modi'in, Sheilot Shvat Safnat Paneach Chadashot, he has a question whether a person who is Michal Shabbos can be counted for a minion. Now this tshuva consists altogether of half a page in the book, 
rather brief tshuva, as is usual in the Raghachavar, many, many sources are quoted, but I'd like to explain the discussion or, that goes on, that began earlier than the Raghachavar, continued later than the Raghachavar, about the same question. Many people raise this issue, whether a Mechal Shabbos can count for a minion. It exists, the question exists, of course, today in America, in many, many communities. In Israel, you find the question in the army, when a few soldiers get together, and a lot of times the good-meaning soldiers offer to come in to help them make a minion. And the question is, do they count for a minion? From the days of the Binyan Sion, Rabbi Yaakov Etlinger, many, many years ago, I find that many people who deal with this question discuss what is really a mumar. Is a person who is Mechal Shabbos automatically a mumar? Or does it depend more upon a certain mindset which we have to understand in the light of today's conditions? The Rabbi Yaakov Etlinger was the first that I know of that discussed a scenario that I can imagine, and I'll describe it in the 20th century uh, context. There were many Jews that I knew in America who would come home from work Friday night after Shabbos. They would drive home from their work, they would keep their jobs and work on Shabbos, but when they came home, they would make Yiddish. They would sit down to a Shabbos ta- table, sing Zmiris, bench, and and in a way keep Shabbos. Shabbos morning, they'd go to an early minion, and then afterwards they'd go to Shul. Now, a Mechal Shabbos is considered a Mumar, is considered a Kofer Lechala Torah Kula. Why is that true? Rashi in Chulin says because basically Shabbos is an os that we God created the world in six days and rested on the seventh day. A person who's Mechal Shabbos is a Kofer in Masib Reishis. He denies the creation of the world by God. And therefore he's a Mumar, a Kofer. Can we really apply this to a person who goes to Shul Friday night? He comes home and he says, The only problem is, of course, technically, he certainly is Mechal Shabbos. He drove the car on Shabbos. He might turn on the lights on Shabbos. But nevertheless, he goes to Shul and Davins. And he says, Kiddush. So, Rabbi Yaakov Atlinger raised the issue whether he can be considered a Mechal Shabbos. In our generation, most of the poskim have discussed whether a person in our generation is actually considered a Mumar, or if perhaps he's considered a Tinok Shanishba. He's considered as a child who was taken into captivity in a young age, and is not to be blamed for not adhering to the laws of Torah Mitzvahs because he did not receive a proper education. And this is a question that's discussed and found in many Sfarim. Many people quote the Chazonish, who pointed out that today the environment is not such to increase religious observance. We do not have people who are capable of admonishing the community, of being examples and teaching how to keep Shabbos properly. And therefore, perhaps everybody today could be considered a Tinoch Shanishba. This, these arguments, which are well found, well documented in many Svam Avachonim, were not at all discussed by the Raghachavar. As would be 
somewhat characteristic of the Ragbuchavar, his discussion revolved around the context of what a tzibur means. Is a tzibur really ten individuals which join together and therefore become a tzibur, and that tzibur consists of ten individuals? Or do we look at a tzibur as sort of an amorphous group, a chavtza a thing by itself, and we don't look at it as the component of its parts. The tzibur is greater than its parts. And in this volume of Chuvas, the Rogachavar mentions that this is a, a great issue. Because on one hand, we know that a mumar cannot bring a carbon. We will not accept a carbon. But he does have a, a, a share in a carbon tzibur, and he brings sources to prove that the, he is considered part of the tzibur. Therefore, he said, in a way, there are reasons to say that a mumar, Mechalo Shabbos, although he might be considered a mumar, but he might be considered part of the group. In the volume of Chuvas printed by Rav, Ka- by Rav um, Kasher, Tzof Das Paneach, so there are two Chuvas that discuss the same question. More or less, they have the same type of sources. In the footnotes, Rav Kasher quotes a famous discussion that's found in the Ramban in Chumash. The Ramban raises the issue, what would happen if each individual, every Jew in the world, would chip in a little bit of money and the people would bring a carbon? Would that be considered a carbon sibor or a carbon yachi? So he said... Actually, there is a an almost a, a blatant contradiction in the Ramban. The Ramban in, in Chumash, in Vayikra, Perik Allah, Pasuk Beis, says one thing. The Ramban in Bracha seems to say the opposite. But let's stick with what the Ramban said in Chumash. The Ramban said, in such a case, when all the Jews chipped in bring a carbon, it's called a carbon ashutfin. It, every single person is a shutaf. In that respect, the concept of a tzibur doesn't exist. It's just a carbon ashutfim. But a carbon atzibur is when the, carbon, the the money is brought from Chumas Halishka. When they bring the money from the community, so then it becomes an entity by itself. In that respect, you could argue that a Mechal Shabbos could, should be considered, counted for a minion. What's interesting in this tshuva is at the end of the tshuva of the, which is printed in the volume of Modi'in, this year printed in Israel, the bottom line, he says, Lachin Ladina. Let's pass him. Af Torah ein mitztarfim. He felt that Kriyasa Torah needs a community to join as individuals, and that is as if they're bringing the carbon now. However, Utfila Shapi mitztarif. But for the purpose of tefillah, they do count. Now, the footnote in this volume of Tzavtas Paneach HaChadoshos, printed Modin, refers you to the Shut Tzavtas Paneach in New York, of New York. Now, the volume of New York that I saw doesn't have such a tshuva. But the, he apparently is referring to the Tzavtas Paneach printed by, the, by Rav Kasher, 
which, although the uh, official office was in New York, was actually printed in Yerushalayim in 1965. In that volume, the Ragachever said very similar arguments. But however, he wrote, Ledina Kach. He said, the dinner would be like this. The Kriyasa Torah, the Raklet Sibur, the Ein Layachid, Chelek, Mistarf Maposhim. He said there, for Kriyasa Torah, you could count him. Now, this seems to contradict completely what he said in the later volume. For the purpose of Musaf, he said it would depend upon a certain Machlokas, and we won't go into that Machlokas. But then he writes, Ava Bishachris, in Michal Shabbos Befarhesia, Ef Shalitzarfo. For Shabbat, for Shachris, if he's a Michal Shabbos, you cannot count him. The Zekesh Rishayim ben Minaminyan, because this is a group of Rishayim which cannot be considered a group. Now, that, the part of Kriyasa Torah, he said, in one volume you're Mitztarif, in the other volume you're not Mitztarif. For Shach, for Shachris, he said in one place you're not Mitztarif, and the other it said for Tzvila Betzibor, you are Mitztarif. It seems to me that the question would be how he really understands the, what the nature of the Tzibor is for Kriyasatara and for Tvila. Perhaps somebody will come to try to explain the difference in the Psak between one volume and the other. But the, the discussion of the Ragachavar hinges upon the fact do we look at a tzibur as an amorphous group or as individual, which is a type of a, a famous chakira that the Raghachavar is well known for? It's not surprising to me that this tshuva is hardly referred to in the various svarim that discuss tefillah b'tzibur, if a mechal Shabbos would count. For example, Ravavadi Yosef is quoted in the volume written by his son, Yalkut Yosef, where <coughs> Rav Ovadia is quoted as saying very briefly, a Mechal Shabbos, Mi ain't letzayef leminyan, Mi she Mechal Shabbos b'tharesia, Kigon, Bechlal ze Mi she noheg b'mechonit b'shabbat b'rshut ha-rabim, Yesh makinim b'zeh b'shat ha-tchak. He said, the basic psak is that you cannot count a Mechal Shabbos, a person who drives on Shabbos, you cannot count him for a minion. There are people who are making b'shazat chak. In the footnotes of Rav, of Rav, of Rav Yitzchak Yosef, who is actually the author of the Yalkut Yosef, but it's based on the Psakim of Rav Avadya, and there the sources of Rav Avadya are quoted, and there there's a short tshuva, yachasit, a relatively short tshuva written by Rav Avadya Yosef, which is taken from his own handwriting. And there, there must be a hundred sources quoted of Achronim who discuss this question. He quotes, for example, the Igros Moshe, who also has an interesting take on this concept. Rab Moshe also has a discussion about certain things that a Michal Shabbos could count for, certain things that he could not count for, a little bit of a different argument than we've suggested until now. And, and Rav Avad Yosef simply quotes everything. But I don't think that this tshuva of Rav, uh, if of the, of the Ragachavar was quoted by Rav Avadia, I don't think it's taken really as a part of the shut, of the halachic shut, 
that built up the the entire Shut literature. Now, of course, the latest volume, which was printed uh, now, was printed after uh, Rav Yosef wrote his tshuva. But the first volume, which was printed in 1965, where it does have these tshuvas, it was certainly available before the Yalkut Yosef was written, but nevertheless, I don't find the Ragachavar quoted by Ravavad Yosef. Another question that I'd like to discuss very briefly, also I find it an interesting question, was in the volume printed in New York, in Tshuva Kuf, a Tshuva that can, is actually printed altogether in four lines, Rav Rosen, the Ragachav, was asked about putting on tefillin on Yom Tov Sheini. Now, obviously, he's asked this question in Chutzlaretz, outside of Eretz Yisrael, where people keep two days. And he was asked, what's the explanation, or should we put on tefillin Yom Tov Sheini? He points out that Kfar Dashu Bazet. Many people have already discussed this question. Uh, offhand, some of the sources uh, that discuss the question are the Tmim Deim in Simen Mem, the uh, Rajba in his Sheilot Tshuvot, later Achronim, for example, the Ksav Sofer, I think it's Tshuva Yud Gimel, also raises the issue about putting on Tfil Yom Tavsheni. The Ragachavar, in, in these short, few short lines, points out that I haven't found any mention in Bavli or Yerushalmi that Yom Tov Sheni, you shouldn't put on tefillin. And then he quotes Tosfus in Sukkah Undaf Mem Zayin Aleph. And then at the end, he paskins, if not for the famous poskim, I would say you should put on tefillin Yom Tov Sheni. And this is not the time to elaborate anymore. Now, what is this reference to the Gemara in Sukkah and the Tosas there? The Gemara there has a discussion whether we make a bracha on a minik. We know that on a dindar Rabbanan, Rabbanan instituted brachas. That's why we can, when we wash our hands, we make a bracha, Asher Kitshanu The Gemara asks, where Vitzivanu? And the Gemara says that we're, we're required to listen to the Chachamim, so you can say Vitzivanu. But what about a minik? Something that's just a custom. Can you make a bracha v'tzivanu? This is a famous discussion in Mishonim, if you can make a bracha in a minik. Tosis points out that we do make a bracha in a minik. And he says, because Yom Tov Sheini is a minik. And nevertheless, we make brachas in Yom Tov Sheini. Rebbe Kivager there discusses which brachas, what is the Tosis referring to, about making brachas in Yom Tov Sheini. But the bottom line is, Tosfus says, Yom Tov Sheni is a minik, we make a bracha, you can, it's a proof that you can make a bracha in a minik. The Ranvir, Uns Sukkah, says, he doesn't understand the argument of Tosfus. Yom Tov Sheni is not a minik, it's a Dinder The Gemara says, yes, The reason that Chachamim instituted keeping Yom Tov Sheni is because this was the minik that of of our fathers, but Gemara there doesn't mean it as a minag. So it seems that there's a machlokas between Tosfos and the Ran. What is the nature of Yom Tov Sheni? Is Yom Tov Sheni a mitzvah drabanan, a din drabanan, or is it a minag that Chachamim instituted? 
The Ragashava seemed to imply that if Yamtav Sheni is a minik, then it's true you keep Nihugim of Yamtav, but it's not actually Yamtav. It doesn't have Kedushas Hayam. And therefore, there would be no logical reason why you shouldn't put on Tefillin. On the other hand, if you learn like the Ran, that it has Kedushas Hayam with Rabbanan, it's a mitzvah with Rabbanan to keep the Yamtav Sheni, then a person could argue that uh, you should not put on Tefillin. Rabbi uh, Rav Herschel Shechter explained this uh, Machlokas once, and in fact, he wrote about it, and he made a comment of Rav Soloveitchik that felt that even according to Tosfus, it doesn't mean really it's a minig, but never, the, but, and therefore he said even according to Tosfus, you could argue that you should put on film. Nevertheless, this psak of the Ragachavar, I doubt whether it was ever in, implemented by anyone, and I really question whether the Ragachavar himself put on film in Yom Tavsheni. Now one could argue that skipping a day of putting on tefillin is not necessarily a major problem. That also is a discussion. Is Do tefillin really have to be put on every day? Or do tefillin have to be put on every moment? We don't wear tefillin all day. Is there a basic difference between skipping the whole day that we don't put on tefillin, although we put on tefillin in the morning, or not putting on tefillin at all one day? Does the Torah really say you should put on tefillin every day? Or does it say you put on tefillin all the time? But... I don't believe, I don't know whether the Ragachavar put on tefillin himself in Yom Tavsheni. I personally do quote this Ragachavar, but in a different context. Very often, students who come to Israel for a year, or backwards, Israelis who go to America for Yom Tov, ask me how they should deport themselves in Yom Tavsheni. Now, as far as Malacha goes, the Shulchan Aruch ruled that a Ben Eretz Yisrael, who was found in Chutzaretz, cannot do Malacha. That's a psak that's clearly in the Shulchan Aruch. And the Mishnabura says that you should not do Malacha even B'tzina. But the Shulchan Aruch does not say anything about how do you daven. And the law of the Shulchan Aruch is not found at all about a Ben Chutzaretz who's found in Eretz Yisrael for Yom Tov. And therefore, there are wide, various opinions of Psak, which obviously are not the issue today. I, however, add one thing to the people. No matter what they paskin, I think it would be a good idea to put on film Yom Tov Sheni, in both cases. Because, after all, if you check the all other tshuvas that I refer to, the Rajbaz tshuva, the Ksav Sofa, the Tmim Deim, it's very interesting to see if anybody came up with a solid explanation of why we don't put on film Yom Tov Sheni. So if you just say, well, that was accepted by the Jewish people, that might be enough to convince us really that we shouldn't put on film Yom Tov Sheni, but in these extenuating circumstances that I mentioned, either an Israeli visiting America or an American visiting Israel, it would seem to me proper that we should put on film Yom Tov Sheni. So for this respect, I employ the, personally the tshuva of the Ragachever, la halacha. But I don't believe it's been quoted in uh, any halachic sources. In general, it would be an interesting study to see how many of the Ragachever's tshuvas, although all understand that they're brilliant, and it became a great challenge to try to understand them, how many of them were actually quoted in modern-day psak to, when we discuss halacha lima'ase. You have been listening to KMTT Kimitzion Tetzay Torah. And once again, I wish to remind you that this is KMTT Appreciation Drive Week. And we're waiting to hear from you. Phone number in New York, 212-732-4874.
and in Eretz Yisrael, 052-545-6023. Call to.